0: South American Soccer, an in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical and critical views supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. The Copa Libertadores and Sudamericana group phases reach a climax and we're now more or less in the knowledge of the 16 teams left fighting for each trophy. We look back on the tournament so far and assess the chances of those going forward and maybe along the way spot some of the players that may be about to move across to Europe over the next couple of months. As ever, I'm joined to do all this by, first of all, Simon
1: Edwards. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to discussing the Libertadores and finally a bit of positive Colombian news, but I'm sure we'll get there. (laughs) Absolutely, we will.
0: And also Tom Robinson is with us again.
2: Yeah, how long on the sweepstake did we have for Simon getting a Colombian football mention in there? Um, but no, looking forward to discussing it. I think I've just about calmed down from the drama and obviously, as you said, a few a few games at the time of recording still yet to to play, but it's been a pretty, pretty amazing uh, sort of group stage and I think it's one of those, my favourite times of the, the tournament, really. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, as you said there, Tom, when we're recording... For logistical reasons just before the final couple of games um, and of course the draw for the last 16 taking place uh, tomorrow as we record however over this week we have now found out the vast majority of the teams that will be in the two tournaments in the last 16 so we'll dive straight in with the libertadores and it seems like the most logical place to start really in group a as it has been confirmed we know who's going through and Surprise, surprise, Palmeiras, the champions, two times running champions, swept through the group. Very formidable. Six wins out of six. 25 goals scored as well. Um, Simon, I'll come to you first when, when discussing Group A and Palmeiras. Looking at the group, even if it was a group which we expected them to go through with quite relative ease, they still look very much the team to beat, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They've been really, really impressive. Um, You know, they've been professional throughout. They've got plenty of goals in the side. You know, they've got such strength in depth. This is what we see with the great top Brazilian sides at the moment. You know, they've got guys like uh, uh, top, top players. Dudu has been on the bench certain times. The strength in depth of Palmeiras is incredible. Top, top goalkeeper in Weberton. Really, really impressive uh, and fully deserving of of heading through. Um, What we've seen with the Brazilian teams is. Uh, Not only do they have these great names that that will be familiar to to foreign fans, perhaps Palmeiras don't have the high-profile names of some of the other Brazilian sides, but they also now are starting to play with real precision, uh, real uh, control as well. So for me, that's been the big change in recent years for the Brazilian sides. They've gone from perhaps winning games on moments, perhaps relying on some uh, superstars and the superior talent, uh, to now really controlling games and managing games. And, and I think Palmeiras are one of the best examples of that. And obviously, Danilo in midfield is really impressive and been linked with move to Europe potentially. They just got a lot of depth and quality. And to go through the group, Libertadores, six wins out of six, uh, 25 goals scored, three goals conceded, 18 points, uh, perfect, a perfect run. And again, obviously, the group wasn't the strongest. Emelec, uh, are a decent, Rival, and I'm sure we'll mention them in a second. Uh, They also in there were Tachira and uh, Independiente, who were (laughs) we're not particularly strong. Independiente Petrolero. But what we see now from these Brazilian sides is teams that that control games, manage games, and I think Palmeiras embody that more than anyone in in just how professional they can be, and they continue that. There are changes in the side over the years. but What we see is a team that's always very well-prepared, very disciplined, very professional. And they've also scored a load of goals in this group as well. So very impressive from the Brazilian so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've managed to keep a lot of that core together from from the champion winning side last year and were clearly too much for the rest of Group A. We saw on the final day, on Tuesday, Emelec jump into second by virtue of putting seven past Independiente Petro, who did end up being very much the whipping boys of Group A. But Tom, uh, looking at Emelec, Do you see them as a side um, going through to the last 16 that could potentially cause an upset or two? Or will a lot of the teams be looking at them and hoping they get Emilek in the draw?
2: Yeah, I think they're not necessarily going to be one that too many teams fear, but they have shown that they've got, you know, goals in their locker, that massive 7-0 win against Independiente Petroledo. I mean, yeah, heavy favourites to win that before the game. Pinnacle had them at 1.078 to win compared to 29.650 for uh, the Bolivians. So it it felt like even though they were in that third position at the start of the, um, the game week, it was more of a, you know, pretty much a formality, and you know, an early brace from Cabeza got them on their on their way, and and Sebastian Rodriguez, another player who's been in brilliant form, five goals and six games in the Libertadores, and he scored a beautiful goal, and he's got a, a very solid moustache going on as well, so he's definitely one to to watch for for many reasons. But I, I think it is a team that, okay, you know, they're they're nowhere near the level of Palmeiras, but they've they've got some good players in that side, you know. Joao Rojas, Jose Savajos, you know, they're, they're kind of coming into the prime of their career, you know, guys who did well at under 20 level and are kind of on the fringes of the national team setup. Dixon Arrojo as well, very solid at the base of midfield. And someone that uh, Simon will obviously know well, Alexis Sabata, who's, um, you know, a former Embigado youth product and an under 20 international as well, who's for this level, someone who who can bring that creativity and has got skills. So this is not just a a team that's there to make up the numbers. Yes, I don't think you can really say that they're going to get much further than the uh, quarterfinals. I think that would be the the sort of very uh, limit of of their abilities. But as we saw when they they played uh, Flamengo a couple of years ago, um, they they took them to to penalties. Um, So it's, it's... a historic side that you can never uh, truly um, write off. But um, yeah, um, I certainly don't think too many teams will be quaking in their boots, shall we say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing over the years is that generally at home, they've been a fairly difficult team to break down. uh, Certainly when you look back at previous years, when they reached the knockout stages, that has been the case that at home, at least they've been difficult. And uh, they'll hope that's still the case as they go through, we'll see who they get in the draw, of course, later on this week. Group B is one of those that we we haven't yet seen. So we'll come on to that later on. Group C, though, I'll come back to you, Tom, because it was the group that we saw the two Argentine sides end up prevailing. One of them was very, very convincing throughout and had their place booked before the final day. Um, the other came through with the result on the final day, having not won in the first four rounds, managed with back-to-back wins to suddenly sneak in. So how are we assessing Estudiantes and Vélez uh, going through into the last 16?
2: Well, let's start with Vélez just because it was such a dramatic way to, to, to sort of come from almost nowhere. It just shows you that even after four rounds, you can't write off um, every team um, even if they are looking like they're because you can just get those two wins. And I mean, I think we, you know, need to mention that 3 2 win with that injury time winner from Maxi Perona, the, the brilliant young um, Argentinian midfielder who, who popped up. And that was so crucial because it then meant they could go to Estudiantes, already qualified, helped somewhat by the fact that Estudiantes put out a very much a, a second string team there. But, you know, they they really fired home their advantage there. Um, you know, Lucas Janssen being one of their, their bright spots. He's got four in six in the Libertadores and, and six in his last seven games in all competition. He got a brace. Um, again, Maxi Perone coming with a an excellent assist, a beautiful outside of the boot pass it to, to get him through. And, and then Prato and Osorio um, putting the, putting the sort of cherry on on the cake there. And, and generally, that that whole momentum now with Velez feels like they're they're kind of getting back to what we know they could do. I did think they were quite unlucky in some of their early games. I think we mentioned on previous podcasts, you know, the the, the both the Bragantino games, they I thought they were good for the victories there, and and I think they were in a slightly false position. Um, but um, yeah, Bakari's done very well, and now they've got Alexander Medina coming in, which again is a is a huge plus. You know they're giving Pristiani uh, a, a debut. I think the second youngest Argentinian um, in in Luis Adores, um certainly. I think after Cunaguero. so it feels like the the vibe is is back there for Velez, and um, yeah, I think they're they're a side that could go on a little bit of a run, much like Estudiantes, who have cruised through the uh, group stage. Probably the most impressive Argentinian team, um, along with with River and, and they you know very good in the Copa de la Liga as well. They've just got that settled back line of uh, Rogel Noguera, Godoy and Mas. Um you know willing runners in midfield and then you know they've shared the goals around up front. Maybe not as prolific as they have been in the league there, Boselli not you know not quite doing what he's doing in the in the domestic league, but Del Prete, Diaz, Pellegrini, they're all guys who can contribute. So I think Estudiantes and, Estudiantes and Vélez are both sides that we'll be thinking, you know what, if we get a bit of a kind draw and, and avoid some of the big boys, we could go on a bit of a run here.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think when you look at Velez, always looked at them aside as probably underperforming earlier in the year. And you look at the two teams together and you, and you see the difference it makes with stability because we look at Estudiantes' at side having had a, a year or so with Ricardo Zielinski in charge. As you said there, a very settled eleven. There's very few changes week in, week out. To what he would go with the back four, the same, a very experienced goalkeeper, Zuki, always the guy in the midfield with the set pieces, and just a very physically strong team, which I don't think even the strongest, the favourites in the Libertadores, will fancy going to play because they, Estudiantes will make it a difficult game. For, I think for anyone, even if we don't put them in the bracket of teams that could go and potentially win the tournament, um, and Velez, I think as you say, with a bit of momentum, if they start finding the form that we probably expected from them will be a threat to anyone. Lucas Hansen, you mentioned there, has been tremendous in 2022, even when the side hasn't been performing. And with some of those talented young players coming through, a good transfer window potentially with a new manager coming in. If those things click, then we'll see a very different velez Sarsfield to the one that we saw during the group stage. Um, So Estudiantes and Vélez going through there. We'll go on to Group D now, because I know, um, Simon, that's one of those that you will certainly want to talk about. Um, as we saw yesterday, Deportes Tolima ended up going through in second with Atletico Mineiro, with a wonderful result away to the Brazilians. Um, so this year we do have, in fact, a Colombian side into the knockout stages of the Libertadores. And I'll leave it from with you, Simon, there to uh, <laughs> take it from here.
1: Well, yeah, it was a really, really good result for Tolima. Um, Colombian sides, as you mentioned, have really struggled in the Libertadores Uh, struggling to get out of the groups, struggling to finish third at times. Um, And Tolima, I think, I always suspected that they were a side that was well set up to challenge perhaps some of the teams with bigger stars, bigger players. What they have is two strong centre-backs and two strong defence midfielders. The full-backs had a really good game yesterday against Minero, but sometimes a little bit suspect. Uh, the number ten, who is Cataniel, can can drop in and do well and help out. But it's that square in front of the defense, the two centre backs, two defense midfielders, which is key. And then what they have is pace out wide and and uh, and a kind of focal point number nine up front. So I think it's a, a quite a simple system, a system they know well. They've been really really good in the Colombian league, um, and I just think that they they were well set up to to do well against teams that dominate possession. So. Uh, I also think they kind of kept players forward. In the, the game, they eventually won 2-1 against Minero, um, scored, uh, Minero equalized late on, and then uh, finish in the final seconds of the game to, to kind of give the Tolima the, the three points. In the end, uh, one point would have been enough, um, but great to get that result, a huge confidence boost as well to go to Brazil and get the win. Pinnacle had them at 10.4 uh, to, to get the win there in Brazil, so they really defied the odds. Um, and, I, and I think this Tolima side is interesting. Um, what was interesting for, for me as well is that they were <laughs> fighting quite a lot amongst themselves. Usually you think a team going away to Brazil, they kind of have to all be completely professional, completely on their game, going up and down and covering the space. But they were quite relaxed. And I think that comes from the confidence they have from their league form. Because what they have is these, these two, three kind of wingers, Ibarguin, Plata, either side, um, and, and they stay high. They, they, they give the opposition reason to kind of be, be wary, to stick back and to, to not push their fullbacks on too much. They also have Jason be coming off the bench. So they just have a lot of very similar, very tricky, very technical kind of uh, dribblers who play behind a number nine. And, and in Michael Rangel, I think he's a good player. He has terrible hair. He looks like a skunk. Um, like a dyed blonde mullet short on the sides it's, 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 it's interesting it's definitely a statement piece um, but, but I think Tolima are going to be a challenge for teams in the knockout rounds uh, they're a little bit a little bit they could be a bit more precise at times on the ball uh, they definitely had breakaways where they kind of wasted it with not finding the right pass. As I say, they definitely got into quite a few arguments. I saw four players arguing in the opposition box. I'm like, you probably should get back. You need you need this result. Um, but they're a team, they're an interesting team. It's a combination of a lot of defensive discipline and then some individual kind of expression on the break. So I think they, they deserved to progress. Uh, a great result in Brazil. Um, and I think they'll be a tricky challenger in the knockout rounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, we looked at that group before and it looked as though it was going to be one of those groups, much like Group A, although it was more difficult. But we looked at Atletico Mineiro as a side that looked so strong coming into this year's tournament that they would themselves would, would very much cruise through as the group winners and the three other teams will be battling out for second. Atletico Mineiro has still gone through as group winners, Tom, but are we now maybe reassessing how strong a side we think they are or is this just they did what they had to do and now we'll see a different Atletico Mineiro, perhaps in the knockout stages?
2: Yeah, I think out of all the big teams, they're the ones I'm still yet to make my mind up on because they don't quite look as good going forwards and they're not quite as solid in defence. I think they've just lost that that little edge. I mean, players like Arana, Nacho, Fernandez, Huluquia are all top names, but we've not quite seen as much of of players like Zaracho and Savarino who who were really on it last year. Perhaps it's something to do with a tougher group that they've been in. Um, And realistically, they, you know, they still got 11 points. They they still managed to get through without too much or too many difficulties. But yeah, they don't quite look the same beast. I I think I was thinking that, yeah, after that league title, they'd be going all in for the Libertadores and they were really going to be ones who could challenge. But at the moment, I'm not quite seeing a team that's capable of winning the tournament. Obviously, there's still a long way to go. Lots can change, but um yeah, I've I've been my high expectations for Minedo haven't haven't quite been matched, and and arguably probably the same with Independiente del Valle as well. You know, um they were a side that you know do s- so many good things off the pitch and on the pitch, but once again, they've not quite lived up to that hype a- a- around them. Perhaps. No one saw Tolima being quite as as good as as we were expecting, but you know they got eight points in other groups that would have got them through. But I, I really think you know you've got to be getting at least ten points if you want to guarantee yourself um, a, a spot in the knockout round. So you know, apart from some good performance by Sornosa, they'll be a, a bit disappointed. Um, but certainly, I think they'll fancy their chances in the Sudamericana.
0: Yeah, I mean, they are one of the teams, as you say, finishing third, they dropped down into the draw for the, the last 16 of the Sudamericana, um, which is always a, a bit of a consolation, at least, for those sides that miss out on the Libertadores last 16. Obviously, we know the strengths of both Brazil and Argentina, but we did look at the lineup of the Argentinian teams this year and look at them and think, not sure if they'll get all of them going through. There's a few weaker candidates there. And yet, here we are talking about Boca being heavy favourites to go through from their final group game. And if they do so, then it will be a clean sweep, all six Argentinian sides into the last 16. Um, we'll come on to Group F now, which was one of the Argentinian sides that we we all agreed that we'd fancy them to go through, which was River Plate. Um, they finished off the job. They'd already done it the week before, but they finished off last night with an 8-1 win over Alianza Lima. Julian Alvarez scoring six in that game. Um, and they're going to be joined by Fortaleza, who won 4-3 away to Colo Colo, who had started the group very well. But with a bit of misfortune perhaps ended up falling away. The Brazilians taking second spot there. Um, Simon, I mean, Fortaleza coming through in second were perhaps always going to be battling for second when we looked at the group. River have taken the top spot. What, how do we assess those two teams going forward into the draw on Friday?
1: Yeah, I mean, River... What can you say? <laughs> Incredible. Um, I, I don't think it was the... the I think they were strong favourites in the group. I wouldn't say it was an easy group. Uh, obviously, I think in Salima Lima were particularly poor, but I think Colo Colo and Fortaleza g- gave, you know, a team that you have to, to be fairly wary of, but obviously very, very impressive for play One draw, five wins. Uh, I just... The, the consistency of how, how dominant they are. Um, there's always slight tweaks here and there, new players coming in, but... They're just the same dominant side uh, that just uses the ball well, that has that experienced defense. It's it's just really impressive from River play, And it's a team that I think the neutral can enjoy watching. Um, Boca, as you say, up and down and the other big Argentine giant. But River, is it's just consistency. It's just really impressive. So I think River will go into the knockout rounds uh, as one of the favorites. Um, for me with River, again, you can correct me, but it seems as though they're consistently a good level. Uh, and consistently one of the stronger sides. But against the very best Brazilian sides, it's, it's interesting. It's a bit more of a challenge. But I think they're just very dominant, particularly against teams that they're expected to beat. Very professional. They use the ball well. They move the ball well. Um, they're just a really, really impressive side, I think. So going through comfortably. And I think the game with Colo Colo and Fortaleza, um, Pinnacle actually had Fortaleza as favourites to, to win this one, but it, was, it wasn't straightforward. And I think two own goals... Uh, for Fortaleza, uh, a red card for Colo Colo, 4-3 win for for the Brazilians away there in Chile. Impressive result, but obviously the Chileans had more of the possession, a lot more shots on goal. Uh, Chile were particularly disappointed, and going down to 10 men just after the break made it much more tricky for them. Uh, so, again, a very respectable performance from Colo Colo. It looked as though they might be going through, uh, but the Brazilians have dug it out there away in Santiago, and, uh, and respect. I, you know, I think, obviously, River are, are much more polished professional, controlled, technically gifted side than Fortaleza, but to, to, to get the results necessary, you know, it, it's a good sign for the Brazilians and there'll be a challenge in the, the knockout round, although probably a team uh, most would be quite happy to draw, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Um, just before we leave that group then, Tom, on the subject of River, because as Simon was just saying there, I guess when you're looking at winning the Libertadores, which of course is River's... Main objective for the year, what we would assume is going to be the final year of Marcelo Gajardo's tenure. So he'd want to finish off with the Libertadores title, of course. Um, are they at the level now when we can start looking at them as potential rivals to the likes of Palmeiras? Because that's been really the issue. We're looking at a team that, yes, very can be very impressive against the likes of Colo Colo, Alianza Lima uh, in that group. But there is that significant step up once we get into the group stages. And there's still that question mark over this River team. So can they do it?
2: Well, if they play like they did against Alianza Lima, then, you know, they're certainly in with a shout. And they're one of the three unbeaten teams in the group stages. So you've got to put them among those very, very top favourites. I mean, yes, Alianza Lima were awful. Uh, Pinnacle had them at 42.22 to win. And I think that's quite (laughs) generous, to be honest, because they were absolute trash. Um, so, you know, there's only so much you can read into a big victory like that. And, and certainly with Julian Alvarez as well, you know, he's obviously getting all the headlines there. Brilliant player, huge prospect. And it's going to be fascinating to see what he does at City, potentially a bit of a farewell game for him, uh, you know, there in front of the, the crowd at the Monumental. But, you know, again, I think Alvarez almost sums up what River have been a bit like. If, you know, if everything clicks, he can net three, four six goals in a game, um, you know, it's either kind of feast or famine. I think when it doesn't click for River and and especially if, you know, Alvarez does leave and doesn't come back on loan or anything like that and they suddenly find themselves without someone who can put the ball in the back of the net, then, you know, for all their dominance, for all their, you know, pretty passing triangles and everything like that, are they going to be able to sort of grind out those results against the you know Brazilian sides, especially if they're ones who sort of sit deep and invite River onto them? You know, we saw Tigre give River some problems, but with that kind of more counter-attacking style. So, I'm as much as River have got all the pieces necessary to to mount a serious serious challenge. I think there's maybe some slight question marks about you know. The fragility of, of their defence on occasions and and it, their efficiency up front. Obviously, last you know last night was a was a, a different situation and, and players like Santi uh, Simon had a great game. Gomez at left back as well with a lovely goal and three assists. Um, you know they've they've got to be up there as one of the favourites. I maybe have them just behind Palmeiras and Flamengo at this moment, but not far off to be fair.
0: Yeah, I mean. As you mentioned there, one of the big question marks anyway is going to be Julian Alvarez, who's clearly one of the most important players for River at the moment, prolific goal scorer for them, as his six goals last night were evidence of. But with Man City seemingly intent on him coming in this window, River are going to have to go through the rest of the tournament minus Julian Alvarez, which is going to severely weaken them. Given the financial state, that they're not going to be able to go out and buy someone who... Is, you'd imagine is going to be anywhere near to that kind of level so that will be a, an interesting factor for river um the final two groups group g and group h uh group g we saw wrapped up last night that was always one of those groups that without having a standout team that looked to run away with it looked very even on paper four pretty even teams and it proved that way colon winning the group on 10 points despite suffering defeat to de on on the final day they already had that place booked and Cerro porteno managing to go through in second on goal difference despite losing the classical 1-0 to Olympia on the final day. Olympia needed to win by two in the classical to leapfrog their rivals, unable to do so. So it really came down to such fine margins. Um, It's a group which was very exciting, which we thought it was going to be, but is it a group which potentially has a team that can go on and, and shock some of the bigger teams in the knockout stages, Simon?
1: no i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so yeah. um also i mean that game as well the fact that uh, olympia scored 10 minutes in they needed to get a 2-0 win they scored 10 minutes in you just thought okay well, this is going to be this is going to be interesting and and Sero limited them just three shots on target 11 shots overall um they had more of the possession olympia but they didn't quite push home their advantage i mean pinnacle had uh, Olympia's favourites to win at 3.18 uh, Cero at 2.26 so Pinnacle thought that Olympia could could get the win they were right but Olympia just couldn't find that second goal uh, and particularly getting that goal so early kind of sets things up nicely so no um, we looked at this group at the start we thought we'd get uh, a very competitive group that's exactly what we got uh, all of the teams were, were, were close I mean Penerol, um picked up on the win on the final day which perhaps made it look a little bit closer than it was because they were a little bit adrift. Uh, also, we saw Penuel, this isn't the Penuel I, I love and know, you know? <laughs> just, just the 11 fouls over 90 minutes when already eliminated. What we see seen from the Uruguayans at times is is three or four red cards in the, in the final 20 minutes. And what we saw in this instance was a 97th minute winner and just 11 fouls over the 90 minutes. So a, a new leaf on Penuel, um, which is a bit... Impressive or disappointing, depending how how you like your football. Um, But no, I I don't think so. Um, You guys can tell me more about Colón and Cerro, but uh, I haven't seen much so far to to give me great hope. Um, It will probably be one, I think, teams will be looking to hopefully draw in the knockout round. But maybe you guys can tell me. Is there anything anything I can look forward to from Cerro and and, uh, Colón in the knockout rounds?
2: Well, I'd say Colón could do you know they they could definitely cause some teams uh, problems you know they've got quite a solid base they've got a bit of magic up front obviously Pulga is uh, is, a, is a fantastic player who can pull out the magic against anyone but even farias i think he's he's maybe not shown it in in the copa de la liga but three goals in the libertadores for 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 him i think he's the first teenager um, since neymar um, back in 2010 2011 to have scored at least three goals so it just shows what a level he's on and he showed some some lovely moments um a- against Peñarol. lovely little drag back at one point and, uh, and another well taken goal so he's someone to to definitely watch out for and, and he could drag them th- uh, through um you know beltrans done very well up front as well for them so i think colon th- there's there's the you know makings of a good team there that again because certainly, I mean, probably quarterfinals would be about as far as you'd expect them to go. But I don't think many teams would would love facing them. Um, although, you know, yeah, you'd maybe take them over River or, or someone like that. But uh, yeah, the, you know, the, they, they've been impressive, I would say. Whereas Cerro started the group very well, tailed off. I mean, if you just, I mean, the group as a whole, if you're looking at it, no, I mean Sarah had a plus one goal difference. Colon plus, well, just a zero. Who Olympia zero? You know, it was a very even, low-scoring group. There's not maybe loads to get excited about. Um, so I think, yeah, they're they're teams that are, are going to be tough. You know, defensively solid, um, and they're not going to give up too many chances. And they might just be hoping they could sneak through on penalties. But yeah, p- perhaps not too much. And and again, another another word for Peñarol, Once again, not making it out of the the group stage. Um, very very disappointing, and not even getting into um, getting into the Sudamericana as well. So a, a very poor um, Libertadores for the Uruguayan sides as well.
0: Yeah. And as Simon was saying, that was already known before even the final round. So that win over Cologne on the final day, very much papering over some severe cracks there for Peñarol, bringing us on then to Group H, where we saw Flamengo go through as the group winners, Tegeres, um, another of the Argentinian teams taking second. And it was a, a group which in the end, those two just simply seemed to run away with it pretty early doors. Um, Simon, are you looking at Flamengo then as potentially the kind of second favourites at the moment behind Palmeiras?
1: Yeah, I mean definitely, definitely. I mean the, the quality that Flamengo have is is incredible for for, for South American football. To have the, the the level of player that they have is is really impressive. The strength and depth that they have is amazing. Um, no, this this is a really really strong Flamengo side. Still, um, Pedro is all coming, and I think gives them another option in attack alongside Gabriel Barbosa. Lasaro coming through at the winger. You yeah, know, this is Flamengo's second eleven would have got out of this group, I think, um, without without too much of a problem. Uh, it really is incredible how, how much quality they have, but also how collective they are. How they play a high line, they move the ball, they pass the ball. Uh, it's a it's a European side playing in South America with with some of the best Brazilian talent. Um, it's yeah, Flamengo a, a top top team. We'll see how they do in the knockout rounds. Um, I think at times they struggle against kind of top teams that, that can hit them on the counter with, with pace. So we'll see if that's the kind of rival they face in the knockout round. But um, yeah, Flamengo did did what we expected. Uh, they, they they drew one game, they won the rest quite comfortably. Rotate on the final day, still look very, very, very strong. So yeah, Flamengo are as good as they, they look on paper, which I think is is the key for some of these big Brazilian teams. You look at the, the names and you think this could be great. And Flamengo usually get the best out of what they have. So that's a good combination, I think, for the Brazilians. Yeah, I mean, they've been there or thereabouts over the last few years. They've got a lot of
0: those players still there. So every reason to think that they're going to be a serious contender as we go through the knockout stages. But they're joined by uh, Teixeira's side, Tom, who probably are a bit of a surprise to be be there. It was a group that we looked at and said it's going to be three teams battling for the runners-up spot behind Flamengo. But... Tegeres did that with relative ease and considering they were pretty poor domestically in Argentina, it was all the more surprising to see them in midweek go away and get these positive results and deliver stories. Um, is that probably the achievement as, 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 far, as far as this goes for them or are you looking at them and maybe this, this dream could go on a little bit longer? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, yeah, a, a fantastic a historic a treat, achievement for them to get this far, but I don't think we should necessarily be writing them off just yet. I mean, cast your mind back just six months ago, Peter, and you know they were they were very impressive in the Argentinian league, as as I'm sure you you can attest to. Is you know maybe they're not quite the same, and and they've they've lost a little bit of what made them so good um, in 2021, but you know. The, a lot of the key pieces are still there. They've got a, you know a very solid side. M- maybe they're just more of a side set up for the cup competition, and and they just had those initial growing pains under the new manager. So you know who knows? Maybe if they can get uh, Josh Windass in and light up <laughs> the rest of the tournament, then 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 we shall see. But yeah, I, th- I think the the main issue for them at the moment is is goals. Um, you know they've they've got they've got a good solid side um, and you know players like Equibel were really good in this this game against catolica um but yeah they they maybe they need someone like Girotti um to to really kind of start stepping up and scoring more goals and and bologes to to sort of come back in and and hopefully do something there but i think they were as well as you know in, in another year that poor form i think would have would have cost them i think they're quite fortunate that catolica just had a bit of a, a meltdown and a, and, a, and a very underwhelming tournament, finished off by that home loss. So, you know, I think when we when we saw the draw with Tajera's poor form and, and Cantolica being champions of, of Chile, you, you kind of thought, oh, yeah, this is this is made up for a, a real battle here. But yeah, um, once again, um, a poor performance from the from, from the Chileans, and um, and I, I think yeah, Tagere's, you know, let's yeah, let, let's hold out a little bit of hope for them still.
0: Yeah, certainly they're going to be one of the underdogs going into that draw at the end of the week, but it will be very interesting to see who they go up against. Yeah, so well, after this evening we will know, of course, for sure, the 16 uh, going through to the draw on Friday. Likely, or we'll, we know some of these Palmeiras, Estudiantes, Atletico Minero, River Plate, Colón, Flamengo, and what we're looking at maybe Corinthians and Libertad as group winners. And in second place, Emelec, Vélez, Deportes, Tolima, Fortaleza, Cerro Porteño, Techeres, and probably Atletico Paranaense and Boca, judging on what we're saying. But as we mentioned, all of those third place teams as well, going into the Sudamericana, which is also reaching its climax. We've, we've seen a lot of those groups finished. We know a lot of the teams going through to the last 16 there. But... Um, Maybe rather than going through group by group in the Sudamericana, um, just to try and speed this along a little bit, uh, Tom, I'll, I'll come to you first in terms of looking at that slightly more holistic approach for the Sudamericana. Who's kind of stood out for you there in terms of going through to the next next round of the competition as potential uh, teams to look out for as winners?
2: Well I think uh, Sao Paulo definitely looking like one of the strongest teams there. Obviously always you know, a massive name in Brazilian um, and South American football, lots of good youngsters on on show. Um, you know, as one of the more obvious teams to to, to get there and, and Racing as well, you know, they haven't quite got the job done, but you'd expect them tonight to to get uh, to get that top spot in the group and, and that's as much based on their American form as what the what they've been showing in the Argentinian domestic league? I think they're two sides that could go all the way. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's 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 interesting um, to see teams like Ceará, uh, Goianense. You know, a, a lot of Brazilian teams going through is kind of my big takeaway from it. Um, it's it's a bit of a shame, really, that um, a tournament that is usually a bit more. I don't know, mixed and diverse than the Libertadores knockout stages is, um, is being dominated by a lot of the Argentinian Brazilian sides. I mean, obviously we're getting quite a mixture of teams who are dropping in from the Libertadores, so that keeps it fairly fresh. Um but yeah that's that's kind of the the main thing. So l- let's hope that maybe Junior can can get through as well. Is it was, it was and I think we also need to s- sort of spare a thought for Union La Calera as well who are very unfortunate to miss out to uh, to Santos um very very close there but um yeah certainly out of the teams that I've seen so far Sao Paulo and Racing looking like the teams to beat. Yeah
0: as you say Racing at home against River Plate of Uruguay who are bottom of their group. Would suggest that Racing, certainly one of the best teams in Argentina so far this year, will be going through. And should that be the case, you would put them amongst the favourites. One of the other non-Brazilian teams already going through is Lanús from Argentina, who did very well to win their group. I think most of us looked at that and looked at Barcelona last year's semi-finalists in the Libertadores as probably favourites there. But Lanús have have managed to defeat them and, and comfortably in the end, somewhat comfortably win the group or deservedly so, at least. Um, and, and Simon, Tom mentioned another one of the non-Brazilians that will potentially going through as, as winners, and we'll find out tonight whether Junior can finish the job. They're at home against Union. Um How do you assess their chances, not just of making sure they finish the job and win the group, but also going forward in the competition?
1: Yeah, obviously still work to do, but I think that they've got a good side, Junior. Um, quite a few of the players in the squad have been Call-ups with the Colombian national team. Uh, Ines Rosa has been involved for the national team. Obviously, Miguel Boja. The question will be if, if Boja stays for the second half of the year, that's undecided. I, mean, I, don't, think, I don't think any... You know, They've got Fernando Oribe who's a good striker and has, has scored goals quite consistently. Um, but I, it's very difficult to replace Boja at this level for a Colombian club. So that would be a big question. But I think um, Junior have a side that should be competing for the Sudamericana title, uh, a good squad, good options off the bench. Cetre, uh, they're on the bench as well. Uh, Alborno, also just good pace out wide. Their setup's quite similar, really, in a lot of ways to Tolima, um, but perhaps with bigger names, uh, more established players. Uh, perhaps not quite as strong in defense, to be honest. But it's, it's a similar setup, and they've got good players. They've got a goal-scoring goalkeeper. What's not to love? Um, Sebastian Vieira. Uh, no, I think I think Junior are a team that will expect to compete for this title. They'll expect to get out of the group. By the time you hear this, they may be <laughs> eliminated. But if they do get through the game uh, today, then I think um, I think they're a side that will, will expect to, to give a good game to the Brazilians. And it is amazing that even the mid-table Brazilian teams now are looking so so dominant, so strong. goianese uh, Goianense, um Ceará, it's it's, uh, it's it's alarming, but hopefully the knockout round, as you mentioned, with these Libertadores teams adding to the to the mix, should open things up a bit.
0: Yes, yeah, so just to just to finish off, then we look at the lineup. We've got Lanús there, Santos, who were relatively fortunate to get through, even though they were looking at, on the lineup at least of being one of the Brazilian sides you'd expect to get through. Sao Paulo, Internacional, Goianiense, Ceará. Likely to be Racing and Junior, as we said, plus the teams dropping down from third place, which the likes of Tachira, Independiente del Valle, Nacional, Colo Colo, Olimpia, uh, Universidad Católica. When you're looking at that lineup, Tom, for the draw, obviously we don't know how they're going to be drawn, but who else are you looking for as potential to go on and win the Sudamericana this year?
2: Oh, um, I think it's it's. I mean, I'd certainly be intrigued to see how the likes of Colo Colo and Independiente del Valle do. I think um they've got they've kind of got unfinished business. They they, they were you know, we, we could have expected a little bit more of them in the Libertadores as as we've mentioned. So yeah, I I'd fancy those two to, to be a real challenge um for the Brazilian and Argentinian clubs. But yeah, I mean it's it's looking like it's it's probably gonna be a Brazilian, <laughs> unfortunately
0: yeah as as is probably the case in both competitions well before we leave that completely because obviously these are the two competitions that really do put players in the uh, the shop window um who are we looking at as potential that we've seen from the tournament or maybe not even from the tournament but in the the south american leagues that you're you're thinking is is a player that could be making the move to europe Um, in this transfer window coming up Simon I'll I'll come to you first
1: well I think in terms of Colombia the standout player in the league has been Daniel Ruiz Uh, we saw him briefly in the in the Libertadores Uh, he He did make a decent impact in the the, the qualifying round Uh, he's a left footed playmaker Uh, I like to describe him quite generously as James Rodriguez with a bit of pace and a bit more work rate Um, very nice left foot can dribble can climb from wide areas can play on the left or the right I think about five, six million uh, will be about the price tag. And I think he's going to be a really interesting option, uh, linked quite heavily with Porto this week. I think it's going to be that sort of level will be good for him. Kind of a top Dutch, uh, top Portuguese, top Belgium kind of side. And I think he's a really interesting player. Would, would, would have been involved in the Columbia national team next month. Um, but he's playing in the finals for Midian Adios and they asked him not to be released. So I think he's an interesting one to keep track of. Um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Edwin Mosquera. He's been linked with a few teams, potentially MLS, that kind of thing. He's been included in the Argentine team of the season. Uh, he's been down there on loan. Uh, what, what are your, what's your initial thoughts on Edwin Mosquera? And do you think he's a player who could move to another level? He's currently on loan at Aldo Visi. Uh, I always get that name wrong. Uh, they're actually, the team with a really nice kit, the yellow and green kit with the weird big fish on the badge. How's uh, <laughs> he been doing over there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he, he has certainly been uh, a good acquisition for Aldo City Even when they got him, it looked as though it was something of a coup, considering his reputation as a young player before that. Not sure I would go as far as to put him in a, a team of the season. Um, he's but he's, certainly It's Ald- <laughs> official. But certainly uh, Aldo City <laughs> performed above what their expectations would be. I think he played a big part in that because he gave them a terrific outlet to play on the counter. And that's what he really does bring to Aldo I think any other side that he's lightning quick is able to beat his man. And if he gets the ball put in behind, it's going to take a lot of pace from a fullback or a defender to be able to keep up with him. I think there's still some questions over his final product in terms of his goal scoring capabilities, his decision making, his, his, his crossing at times, even though he did crop up with a few assists. Um, but I think it's just probably that which is preventing him from getting linked to maybe a level above maybe where you're putting him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think,
1: I think that's about right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, elsewhere, briefly, to give a few more names, I mean, Samson Akinola, obviously we've seen him leading the line for Caracas. Uh, 21-year-old Nigerian slash Beninese striker who's playing for Caracas. Very, very strong. He's very, very broad. I think uh, some teams are put off because he's not particularly tall, but he's he makes up for it with his width, like a very strong, but also a pacey striker with good movement. I think for around $2 million, I think he's definitely worth a punt. Um, been scoring very consistently in Venezuela. Uh, it's an unusual career path, but I think uh, a proven goal scorer who will attract some teams. Um, a few others, I mean, Wanda David Mosquera, I think, is a very interesting right-back. He's been playing regularly in this sort of medicina for Medellin. Can play on the wing or at fullback. Lots of pace, lots of good dribbling ability. Um, and finally, I'd say what Fabian Angel. He hasn't played regularly for junior this season, but played 45 games last year. I think he's available on a loan with an option to buy. So that could be worth a a low risk um, punt, uh, I think, because he's a very, very good player. 94% pass completion, which in the Colombian League, which can be a bit bit crazy, I think is really, really impressive. So a very tidy, intelligent ball-playing central midfielder. So there's a few few names from up here in the north. What about down there in the south, Tom? Anyone anyone who you're excited to see what they do?
2: Yeah, well, we've mentioned a few of the names already. Obviously, Julian Alvarez is going to be off. Um, Facundo Farias is a, a, a another one of those top talents. But I think I'm sure Peter would say the same thing. The the one player that you think is definitely ready for a move to Europe is Enzo Fernandez from from River. Uh, I think it'll be really fascinating to see. If he goes anywhere, where he goes, because um, he's a yeah brilliant player in brilliant form, and then probably also Carlos Alcaraz, the 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 racing youngster, not the uh, not the tennis player. Um, so he's he's been linked with a whole host of clubs from Spurs and uh, and Wolves and a, and a few other teams out there as well in Italy. So they're probably some of the the names. Probably Luca Orsianno as well is. is Velez have got enough good young p- talents coming through that they could probably cash in on him now um, and then blood some of the youngsters. Hopefully those those very younger players don't get poached from Velez before we've had a chance to see them. And then other than that, you know, you've got Julio Enciso, um, the Paraguayan, he's going to be high up on a lot of people's lists. Um, I'd say Danilo from Palmeiras is, um, is probably due a move at this point and, and certainly he could fit in at you know, an elite side in in Europe, and and yeah, maybe even some of the some of the younger players that, like you know, Endrick, or um, if if someone's willing to pay stupid money for him, you could see you could see him go. Um, perhaps even Matthew Zinio, um a, a young right back at uh, Flamengo, who happens enough that I've just written a piece about him, <laughs> so you can read all uh, all about him. So, with that shameless plug, I'll I'll pass it back to Peter. See if there's anyone I've missed.
0: No, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Enzo Fernandez has been the guy, certainly from Argentina, that I think has raised his level to that, which, like Julian Alvarez did before, seems as though it's almost a level which is now outgrown the Argentine league and needs the move. Benfica uh, reportedly in Argentina, not just watching him, but speaking to his age and, and, and pondering whether they trigger that move. Um, River, of course, holding out for, for nothing less than his 20 million uh, release cause. Um, And then, yeah, I think the other guy that you mentioned from Paraguay, Julio Enciso, is someone who almost certainly will see get a move in this window in the coming weeks, even if he's just missed recently a few weeks because of a a fractured cheekbone or, or some such injury. So certainly players to keep an eye on. Um, given that we've got maybe just a little fraction under five minutes, we do have a couple of international um, games going on over the next couple of weeks, probably before we record. Um, the first one being, of course, still the undecided World Cup spot that will be uh, coming from South America. Peru still waiting on the winners of the UAE against Australia. They play on the 7th of June and then uh, the, the winner of that game will face Peru in Qatar on June the 13th I think we discussed it before Simon but um, are we still looking at that as Peru most likely going to be back in the World Cup
1: yeah I, I think they'll be confident um, that they have what is necessary to, to get through that it will be a depending who they face obviously it will be a different challenge I think Australia you know a physical side a discipline side but perhaps not a side with the same kind of big names as we've seen in, in the past so I think Peru will feel fairly confident. Uh, I also think Peru benefit from being a team that has a has a consistent core. Uh, the same manager's been there for years and years. They know what they have to do. Um, it won't be easy. It, it, it's going to be a, a high profile game there, one off. They've been working for years and years to get to the, to the World Cup, and it all comes down to this to this big one off game uh, where obviously anything can happen. But I think. I think Peru, a uh, settled side, Tapia, Yotun, uh, the creativity of Cueva, the pace from the fullbacks pushing on. They know what they are. Um, they're not the strongest side in the world. Um, they have their limitations, but I think the organisation, the discipline that we've seen in the in the in the World Cup qualifiers, you know, they're coming here to Colombia and getting that one 0 win with their backs against the wall, is the reason they deserve this chance to get to the World Cup. And I think that the nerves will be there, but I think that the experience that they have, the manager will calm them down. Um, their pressure is going to be high, but I, you know, I think everyone is on the same page with this Peru side. The fans are 100% behind the, the side. Um, so I, I think they're going to get it done. Lapadulo up front has given them something extra as well. You know I, I don't think they're the best team in the world, but I think they get the most for what they have in terms of the talent that they have. So um, I I would expect them to get through, but it's going to be nervy, 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 and it's going to be feisty and there's going to be some time wasting. And you know, there's so much pressure on this one game. It's going to be fascinating, but it's going to be a very, very high intensity, dramatic affair. And I think Peru should have enough to get through.
0: Yeah. Think we're probably all in agreement there um, and Tom, I'll finish with you because we also have, of course, uh, the finalissima um, <laughs> between Argentina as the Copa America champions against Italy, um, European champions at Wembley um, in just less than two weeks now. Um, how do you assess that between the two? One of the teams going to the World Cup, the other, of course, not, but a good test nonetheless for Argentina
2: yeah, I mean, it's clearly the most important game of the year, and um if Argentina win it, then you might as well just give them the the world's um, title right now and and if they lose it, then well, it's just a just a training exercise. so yeah, there'll be I think it'll be interesting to see and um you know uh, good that they're getting a test against European opposition because they're few and far between, regardless of the fact that Italy didn't qualify for the World Cup. they're still a very good side, as we saw at the euros um and i think it will yeah it'll be a, a good display i was i was chatting to someone yesterday who's who's come over um from argentina to to go and watch that game and uh, you know there's going to be a good representation there um for for both sides i'm sure um so yeah hopefully there's not the same scenes outside the ground at wembley as we saw for the euros final um and flares will be kept in you know the the places they should usually be uh, kept but um yeah i'll definitely be looking forward to that one for sure yeah absolutely yeah
0: and as you say a good test for argentina we saw uh, some comments from Kylian mbappe this week about the, the the fact that brazil and argentina don't often come up against uh, top opposition as they do in europe um so this is a, a good way for maybe one of the south american teams to get that experience against european opposition and uh, maybe just put some of that to rest. We'll see. Maybe Italy will will win the final and uh, and Mbappe will have some justification. Uh, but we're still under the hour, but we will call it there. So um, thank you, first of all, to Simon, as ever, for your insight there.
1: No, you're very welcome. Obviously, lots of more football to come our way. So exciting to see what happens and obviously interesting to see what happens in the summer as well and uh, which players we lose and perhaps which players are lured back by Brazilian money to make it even more uh, (laughs) strong their their push for the Libertadores title. But the second half of the year should be fascinating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Make a good point that by next month we probably will have a lot more to say about some of the the transfers in and out of the country with the second half of the year to come with the Libertadores. Um, Thank you, Tom, as well uh, for joining us this afternoon.
2: Cheers. Thank you. And uh, yeah, not long until the Argentinian league proper gets underway. So no rest for the wicked here um, at the Pinnacle South American Soccer Insights pod.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Quick turnaround. Um, we will be back next month when we'll be looking back on those games that we just mentioned in previewing them, um, all of the transfers. And by then we will have, of course, the, the full draw for the Libertadores in the Sudamericana to look forward to so we'll be back in a month to discuss all of that but as ever you can find all the latest odds and betting insight on Pinnacle.com plus plenty of content on at Pinnacle their Twitter Pinnacle.betting on Instagram with plenty of other sports coming your way please gamble responsibly any odds that were mentioned during this episode were correct at the time of recording go to Pinnacle.com to get the latest